Well, hello everybody. We are live for the second time, episode nine of the Extra Rounds podcast. As always, my name is Mike Dice, and joining me is my co-host, Elias Sapetta. What's up? Man, I, I really miss that music, those two weeks I had to host alone. It's, it's good music. It's good. I'm not going to lie. And it's now that uh, we're live, they're here in the studio. You just guys can't see them, but they're here playing behind us. It's just like The Roots. <laughs> uh, Questlove is also in this band. Yeah. We have that set up. You just, it's just hidden. They're, they're camera shy. But I guarantee they're there. Um, so anyways, we have an exciting show to uh, talk about today, or stuff to talk about on the show today. We have a lot of... Uh, of interesting things have transpired since the last time we met. Uh, joining the show today is Dean Thomas and Jessica I. They'll be calling in later. And I wanted to remind everybody who's listening right now that you can actually call in, leave a voicemail with your name and a question, and we'll try to answer it on the show. So the number for that is 815-570-3923. And uh, we'll put it up on the screen for you so you guys can uh, write it down, dial it on your phone, whatever, if you, um, if you have a question. And we'll get to it if we can later in the show. How cool is that? So, that awesome. and one more time, just to recap. Dean Thomas, Jessica, I join on the show. Call in with your questions. So let's uh, start with the most pressing thing. We're not going to go in a chronological time order, uh, so to speak. We're going to focus on the biggest news and then kind of work our way to the round to the rest of the MMA scene. Uh, first thing that would stand out <laughs> is the UFC 205 press conference. Yeah. Uh, it was a crazy week. You know, it seems like last week people were worried about the UFC 205 card coming together. You know, I don't even know if Woodley and Thompson had technically been confirmed the last right. time we did this show because like it, Thompson, Woodley announced it on the sh- box, but it wasn't like officially announced. You and, uh, texted Stephen Thompson. He like ha ha us. So it's like, what yeah. is going on? It's his coy. <laughs> but like, it's on. It's on. Ha ha. Thanks. Thanks. You know, I guess maybe not. I don't played, know. Played dumb. You know, they have <laughs> contracts. So you're not supposed to leak stuff. So. For sure. For sure. But I'm sure uh, Tyron Woodley have had permission, of course. Um, so the uh, then Joanna. Uh, and Carolina. I'm not going to even try to say your last name. I haven't gotten it down. Le- I think I got Joanna's down. You haven't gotten well. Joanna's down either, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm good. I think I'm pretty good, though. I thought it was Joanna Jacek. Joanna Jacek. Well, I'm closer. I'm a lot closer than I would be in Yes, same here. I just say Joanna Champion. So then they announced her as they announced her fight. So they had two title fights. Then Seemingly out of nowhere to some, Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez fighting for the lightweight title. Kind of everybody thought that there was no way Conor wasn't going to be on this car. Dana White did his best to tell everybody that that wasn't going to happen. Veteran people who have been around the MMA for a long time, I think, knew that uh, when Dana White says something uh, when it comes to matchmaking or something uh, for the future like this to take it with a truck of salt. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. You know, he denied it and he said Khabib was going to get the card and or get the fight next and uh, ultimately he didn't and McGregor did. So that came about. So first of all, let's, let's start there with the new fights uh, and let's talk about the whole Khabib situation. Yeah. What did you make of that? Yeah, that was interesting. I think Khabib certainly has deserved a title fight for a long time, but they're trying to get the biggest names they can on this card. They were able, apparently, to come to terms with Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor, who who the UFC seemed to be implying before they were kind of like pricing themselves out, which is 
a bit ludicrous. Um, Khabib, you know, it's it's unfair to him, but it makes sense promotionally for them to keep him kind of there and reserve in case someone gets injured. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate for Khabib. Uh, it, it's too bad His, the string of injuries he's had. Um, but at the, at the very least, this could this could help if he does what he needs to do. This could help uh, generate a lot more interest in him. He's at least been talked about a lot for if and when he actually does get that title shot. And uh, one of the things that people, their biggest gripe about it is, is that uh, they're saying the featherweight division is being held up. Right. Do you think that the featherweight's being held up? Or are you on the side of things that are like, well, Jose Aldo fought once a year on average, so and he was out for longer. So, no, he's not holding up the division. Which side of the fence? Oh, he's, he's definitely holding up the division. It's just a matter of whether or not you have like a problem with that. Um, the UFC is holding up the division as well. Conor McGregor's as well. Um, yeah. So it's just not only is it, it's like it's not even honestly being held up. There's like an interim tag was put into place even before it had been a year since he had defended it, which is ridiculous. Uh, and now he's going to fight three times since winning the belt and not you know defending it. That's completely on the uh, on the UFC. So if it's being held up and it is, it's it's on the UFC's side. I don't. I, I don't. I do ever like. I don't have a, a problem with it in this sense. I'm glad Conor McGregor, as an athlete, as labor, is going for the things that get him the most money and most attention. That's great. It's unfortunate that UFC, other UFC athletes, it's even at the top levels like Jose Aldo, don't get paid enough where they can sit around and, and wait. So that's a shame. So it's unfortunate for him, and we all saw how upset. Jose Aldo is by all of this, of course. Right. Asked for his release. Um, they went in the same day, asked for his release, and then clarified, no, 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 I, I really meant it, and maybe I don't want to even fight anymore ever. So I feel bad for him. I'm glad for Conor McGregor. And, and the reason is, the reasons for both are the same. I want fighters to have more opportunities, have more agency, and get more money. So it's great for Conor McGregor. Although I, I'm a little worried that he's fighting a bit too often in matchups that aren't great for him health-wise. But, um, but yeah, no, he's, it's, it's holding up the featherweight division 100%. It's just a matter of whether or not you care. The, uh, the, there was a contract like picture that was going around on the internet the other day. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw it. I didn't. And like, one of the things was that uh, it had language about the title belt. Which I thought was interesting, and the, like the, I forget exactly how they phrase it, but the essence of it was that they refer to it as a marketing tool mm-hmm. that, like, essentially has no substance. Right. So um, that was kind of an interesting thing, and from the UFC side of things, like, you, I don't think you can fault them at all for letting Connor do this. Like, they, you can say what you want about giving in and letting Connor fight, uh, you know, whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Like the RDA fight. Like, he tried to fight RDA. He tried to do this lightweight thing, like, right. immediately. Right. And it didn't happen. Sure. And uh, Nate Diaz stepped in, and it was a $1.6 million by pay-per-view. And then the following, then he wanted, he lost. He wanted the rematch. Had he won, this would probably already been resolved, and we would be talking about him defending a belt. Right. But uh, he lost, and he wanted that fight. And then you had the biggest pay-per-view in history. And, like, from the UFC side of things, like, they want to make money and that's yeah. making the money these super fights and uh the interim titles there and why i know jose aldo is not happy with anything having an interim label on it you know at the same time the ufc has a featherweight champion who could be fighting and defending his belt so like i see both sides of it um i don't know like i'm torn because i feel really bad for jose aldo and uh not even him people like max holloway who has like nine straight wins who 
de- like he really deserves a shot. He's he's left in the balance, you know. Like, uh, so what happens if he fights Jose Aldo and he gets a shot at the interim title and he never gets a shot at the featherweight title? Right. And then that this great win streak comes to an end. I mean, he's still young, so yeah, he's like a long time. But it would just be really unfortunate that he did he his. Uh, all this momentum he's built up dies before he actually got a shot at the real title. So, like, I yeah. understand that side of things. And then Khabib, who was essentially used as a pawn, and, you know, he played into it a little bit, but, uh, you know, that that was just really unfortunate, too, like, to dangle that carrot. And I don't know if they did that because they actually considered it or if it was in an effort to throw the scent off uh, that they were working on McGregor Alvarez right. or... If they did that as a bargaining chip with either Alvarez or McGregor, maybe they were willing to meet McGregor's demands, and Alvarez had demands, and they needed Alvarez to like, you know, acquiesce. Yeah, could have been, of, you know, and they're like, listen, all right, Khabib, it is. Yeah, we already got him the contracts. It's such so. a it's such a strange amorphous thing because the UFC doesn't have when it put, they don't have the like the legal power to to do quite as much as they make it seem they have the right to do. So they can act as if a title belt is an immaterial thing, but it has material realities, as do the rankings. It has material realities when it comes to, which can easily be demonstrated um, in any number of venues uh, when it comes to endorsement opportunities and stuff. So for, for there's no... There's no set guidelines for things. There's no independent ranking. There's no set of when someone gets title shot, who gets title shot. There's no set uh, written independent rules. Um, not even, even there's no set rules from the UFC either about when an interim title, you know, when a title needs to be defended, when an interim title then goes into place. There's only history, and history is all over the place. When someone gets stripped, so they say they could strip Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor says they can't do that and he's not just talking about like money i think they may not be able to just strip him uh, you know inside of a year without defending uh i, I think they i think they, I think they could get to. sued and i think no i don't think they want to either but i think they could get sued for doing that because the belt has and the title has real uh has real material consequences so we're in a really strange uh landscape now with the ufc where there's all this soft power it's not absolute um one directional power anymore i think fighters realize, hey, I can read it, like, like athletes in all sports have, sometimes I can try to renegotiate my contract. Sometimes I could ask for something, even if it's outside of the contract, and it all just depends on, and, you know, on what they can get. So it's a very interesting situation um, that, you, that you, you, you did a really good job of exploring there. But yeah, it's, it's very tenuous, I think, on all sides. Well, the UFC can say they want to strip Connor. Right. And maybe they do after this fight, but they don't now. The fight as a featherweight champion pursuing being a two-weight champion. 100%. Well, that's a dream for Conor, and it can be looked as them knuckling under, so to speak, and giving Conor what he wants. Like, it's what they want to. It generates sure. interest. And if you're trying to, like, if you're on, they're on the cusp of, like, breaking into the mainstream, and, like, or, you know, at least that's how I see it. Yeah. Other people could see it differently. The, the, the uh, you having a featherweight champion pursuing winning a championship in another weight class something that's never been done and it's your most prolific star at the moment like that's that's an angle you want to explore for the company and promotion as a whole so like they don't want to strip him 100 percent. if at he wins though what'll fight. happen they're saying he'll need to drop one then and i don't think they can make him vacate a title if he owns both of them like but there's no legal like you know, standing that they my have. thing is like if he if he does win mm-hmm. you know 
by stripping him in the near future afterwards, I think that almost tarnishes the whole thing, and then it becomes like a, a clear marketing play. Like I think Definitely you have would. to let him defend the forty-five belt one more time. Yeah, and then he'll either lose it or he'll let it go after that. Right. But like I think he needs that title defense to really cement the thing. Otherwise, I feel like there will kind of be an asterisk on it. No, that's a good point. And I think that, and I think it would it would sully. No, I think it would sully the promotion. Right. Because there's no good reason to strip someone if they ha- if it's been less than a year. Uh, in my view, so pretty soon it'll be a year, right? Like, but if he commit, if he wins, if he wins in November, and then immediately commits to a date in the future to defend the featherweight title, I think that's legitimate. And, it, and then he has another year, as far as I'm concerned, to defend the lightweight belt. And then if he's if he wins, and I mean the pace that he's been fighting at has been like every three months. Yeah, it's a bit. And why that might be ridiculous to expect him to do in 2017, and quite frankly, I hope they don't let him do in 2017. Right, right. Uh, even if he was doing one fight every six months, if he was alternating, sure, featherweight, lightweight, featherweight, lightweight, like I'd be okay with that. Like, I'd let it ride and see what happens. Right. Like, this is—he's drumming up interest, you know. But UFC 205, Madison Square Garden, huge card. They were never not going to have their biggest star on it. Their yeah. other, like, if you think of other UFC fighters who could have carried a pay-per-view in Madison Square Garden, the first one ever, and carry the show and make it something special, those people are. John Jones, Ronda Rousey, and Conor McGregor. Yeah, At probably. Least from right, my right. my standpoint, right. you might disagree, but Jones is out, Rousey's out, yeah. and that left you with Conor. Yeah, and you kind of always knew that that was like there was something. That I was think Conor always knew it. <laughs> I think yeah. he, I think that's why he I mean, that's pushed what, hard. Yeah. And he tried. He tried that. He tried that at UFC 200. Yeah. He tried drawing that line in the sand, and they called his bluff, and they put John Jones Cormier two on it, and it was like, okay, well, this is a fight we want to see sure. this is big okay you know and now they don't have that because of what transpired at ufc 200 with the yeah. test and john jones still trying to resolve a situation but the other interesting thing about this whole situation is that if he does win the lightweight belt that sets up the diaz trilogy it better have it adds a, a new wrinkle to it that oh, makes be wonderful. it significantly more interesting and then I, all of a sudden i think like Diaz, if they were to do you know a lot of people on Twitter are like, why didn't they book Diaz, the trilogy? You know, they're ducking Diaz. Connor got his immediate rematch. Like, have they ever done three, like, three fights between the two, two fighters back to back to back? Like, uh, n- no. So. No, but they did force Diaz to take an immediate rematch right away. So it, it absolutely is a fair thing to give him an immediate rematch after he loses. But you're right. It would be without precedent. Yeah. And... And it's like that. There's nothing that's made that fight different. But like adding the lightweight title could make it more interesting. Oh, it would make it. It would make the sta- it's just way bigger stakes, right? right. Uh, and and I think it doesn't even need. Apparently, these two don't even need any stakes. Uh, they don't need any belts on the line in order to be the biggest draws in UFC history. So for sure, let's throw that on, and it'll be it'll be crazy. Well, we got a little sidetracked because I got really into that. It's fun, more man. So it was I a expected. huge day. You're right. It went from being like. This maybe should be on Fox or yeah, FS1 to be like, oh, one of the best cards in history. And we're not even talking about things like Ioana switching to oh, American gosh. Top Team. It's so cool. So cool. Which is interesting. And then, like, yeah. what does that mean for Tisha Torres? Right. You know, Very now interesting. Now they're teammates. Um, we got to get, get Tisha on, on the show soon. Yeah. She's great. And Ioana, if possible, too. But yeah, and Chris Weinman's on the card now, finally. Yeah. Uh, it, what, you know, one and of the best fight cards was ever. Announced, I think, like two weeks ago by no. MMA Junkie, and it, they didn't confirm it till. The day of the press conference. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, cr- lots of craziness. Uh, and then they had this press conference, right. and Conor McGregor yeah. was there, and in true form, I'd like to say UFC 189 
world tour form. The go big press conference is September before 194 form, like yeah. the peak of McGregor. <laughs> and uh, was laying into everybody, let everybody yeah. have it. He was back, he was funny. The Diaz thing, the first time you, you kind of could see like he changed things because it seemed like Diaz was getting to him by not, oh, yeah. by him consequently not getting to Diaz. Right. And it became a cussing war. Then the second time around, there was, it was a little bit different in the buildup because Connor was trying to remove himself from the media and he had just lost, so he was different in his approach. And then, of course, then there was the press conference a couple days before where right. all hell broke loose. But this was like Connor talking smack when he was on the stage with everybody and yep. Cerrone was yep. behind him and Mendez and he was putting them in their place and just talking smack to everybody. And uh, it was entertaining. It was the type of thing that probably had Nate Diaz like shaking his head like he has before. Like, how in the world are you going to let tweet? this... No, I didn't. What did he say? He just tweeted out. like So his picture, is, uh, his avatar is so like a close-up of space, right? And uh, he tweeted out the the revolver emoji. So like when it was on your timeline, the the way it looks, like the head's right there and That's the gun. Fine. It was. I think a guy like him, he just can't fathom how you could let someone lay into you personally and insult you without being willing to fight them. And that's the thing. You see guys like Jeremy Stevens had some good lines in there. and But Jeremy Stevens wasn't willing to get arrested in New York City that day on stage. He said he went looking for Conor afterwards backstage, I believe. But Jeremy Stevens is, is a rough dude. and and, and uh, But no one like Nate, in the same way that Nate Diaz was, was willing to get arrested on stage that day on real charges because they're not, they're, they're not going to let someone just browbeat them. Well, I think I think I think people are wise to the game, and they understand that calling out for Conor McGregor, you might get that fight, and that fight is something that you want. Oh, they, I think funny. they all saw like Nate Diaz's pay, and they were like, "There, you know, there's a reason to call this guy out." Right. And uh, I think he kind of saw a shot, and he took it, and then he wasn't really ready, and Conor flipped it on him in a way that I don't think he was prepared for, and uh, it kind of caught him off guard. Yeah, and I be- I believe Jeremy Stevens, and he does the Fox Wars Procast yeah. thing where he's like, and I believe that he wanted to confront Conor McGregor well, afterwards. I'm, I'm sure he looked for him. He's, he's a he's, a, I'm he's sure a nasty dude. He did, <laughs> and I think the way that if I'm remembering correctly, the way that he phrased it is that like he he kind of did, but Conor didn't want anything to do with it and like oh, back yeah. down. I don't think he got anywhere near Conor. Yeah, the, yeah, the UFC, possible. especially with everything that happened at UFC 202, that press right, conference, right. they're not letting anyone near get near him. Connor to create a situation to to essentially ruin their golden goose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, if they're smart, they're not. So, I mean, they, they, Dana White loves to, you know, we've seen this, right? Connor will start something, touch someone, and Dana White will, like, grab the person who was touched. You know, they're very protective, uh, well, as like, they should be. I think it was uh, the weigh-ins. Mm. Not... Maybe it wasn't the weigh-ins. It was the stare-downs at the 200 or 196 press conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so there was no water bottles. Right. And it's when Connor swung at his hand. Yeah. And if I'm remembering correctly, he's, like, holding Nate. But, like, Connor's still behind Might have been. He Dana, did that with right? Jose Aldo at, like, uh, at a talk show set down. Dana White did. Well, so, yeah. like, when he grabbed the belt yep. at the World Press exactly. Bank. He was holding Jose Aldo as Connor was, like, playing to the Dublin crowd. Exactly. But then, uh... Stuff like that's not lost on Jose Aldo, by the way. Yeah. Like, who's, who's really upset with Dana White. But, <laughs> you, I don't even remember what we are talking... Oh, so... Th- then, of course, speaking of water bottles, uh, <laughs> the water bottles and the monster cans were on the stage. Um, and when he started getting a little heated and yelling at Eddie Alvarez, <laughs> the camera's on Conor McGregor, and you just see the hand come in, which is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's sitting next to him. And he grabs the water bottle and moves it over, and he grabs the can. And then later, 
in the press conference, I think Dana White actually reaches over and grabs the monster can it's and hilarious. takes it away, which I thought was just funny. It's subtle, but funny. It's so hilarious. Way to, way to be a role model, little Stephen Thompson. He's, a, he's an instructor. He teaches little kids, and he's, he's not only not getting into problems himself, he's keeping other people out of problems. Right. <laughs> that's pretty, pretty slick, man. That's, that was pretty hilarious to yeah. see. It was, uh, it was definitely funny and made for entertaining thing. But Connor was, you know, peak form being uh, himself and ripping people Yeah, man, he, uh, he gets didn't pretty crazy. didn't really say much, and I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. He had, like, one line I think he threw his way, but he didn't say anything. And Frankie was pretty quiet, too. Yeah, yeah it's uh, – yeah, Frankie usually is up until his, you know, his last – Well, Frankie's was, yeah. been trying to get into a fight with – well, not get into a fight, but get a fight with Conor McGregor. Like when right. he won at 194, right. Frankie was at the press conference watching because he wanted to talk to him, yeah. or he wanted to hear what the future was. And he wasn't on the stage, if I'm remembering correctly, for that 194 press conference, which would have been before that, anyways. Yeah. But uh, you know, this was kind of like his moment to address it, and he didn't. You got it. You got it. Either listen, like you're, you're now he doesn't have the same steam behind him. No, right, exactly. I mean, you've got to be willing to get into a fight with him on stage. Otherwise, you're just gonna have to be quiet. Eventually, you're gonna say something. He's gonna say something. Uh, Conor McGregor's gonna say something louder and screaming over and over uh, and insulting at you. And either you're gonna just scream constantly like it's the Republican, uh, you know, uh, primary debates and just everyone screaming at everyone else, or you're going to have to want to fight him like Nate Diaz or something, because otherwise we see that. We see guys, they do something, and then and then Connor just ups the volume, and they have to, they just either sit down, or they were going to have to fight him. So it doesn't, it's not, like Cowboy's been in that situation. Cowboy says something, you know, cool. Connor says something loud. <laughs> Cowboy decides, well, I'm not going to fight on stage here, so I'm just going to be quiet now. Speaking of which, he took a naked cowboy picture in Times Square. Uh, Instagram, yeah, I hope, I, hope he, I, I hope that wasn't, he wasn't actually naked. Well, yeah, I don't think he was. Neither is the actual naked I mean, cowboy. I was looking real hard for a long time. <laughs> breaking down the pixels. That was really, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we talked about this for a while, uh, so we, get, we need to move on. But before we do, real quickly, quick answer. Who won the war, the mind game war, <laughs> Alvarez or Connor? Uh I think Connor goes into like a little feud state here where he's not really present. Uh, I don't think either one of them is intimidated by the other. Um, I, I think Eddie Alvarez probably takes plenty of confidence. I think Eddie Alvarez likes that matchup. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think either one of them is like rattled. I didn't think so either. I think Eddie knew what he was expecting, and he no. tried his best, and I don't think Connor got to him. But, I mean, if you gun to my head, I had to pick like Connor one. Sure. Just because I mean, you he's could, you the could, louder. You could score rhetorical points. I just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'd be like, oh, he did, he performed better. I just, I, I doubt if Eddie Alvarez got scared. Yeah. <laughs> he know? didn't get into him mentally. Like, nah. he was in, living in Aldo's head. Anyways. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe. He got him angry. He got him angry. He but I saw Conor McGregor backstage at the Waynes before Aldo, and he was out of his mind as well. I think he just responded well to it. But, you know, that who knows, right? You're, you're probably right. There's no way of knowing for sure. So... We had uh, the number up on the screen. Yeah. Some people called and left messages. So let's get to our callers. Better not be that profane, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ruin this for everybody. This is the first time we're doing it. So first caller. Uh, now, they call in and left a voicemail. So here's the first message. Hey, guys. Uh, big fan of the podcast. I got two questions. First, with so many fighters standing up for themselves and being able to do so, publicly with the help of social media how do you think the new quote-unquote ufc brass is likely to respond um my second question is 
what kind of conditioner does Elias use? Because, I mean, that guy's hair looks great. It would make a 1989 Steven Seagal look dope. Keep up the great work, guys. Let me know what you think. Valentino so, the third. Those are some good questions, man. So the question, I got two. Uh, the first one about fighters standing up for themselves and being able to do so publicly with the help of social media. I think he's referring to um, Al. Jose Aldo? No, Aquinta. Oh, Al Aquinta? Yeah, let's take our pick, though, right? Like but Jose Aldo, Al Aquinta, Aldermaine Sterling. Let's, let's run down the list here, yeah. With Aldo, I don't think it's quite... Ev- that's the wrong thing. I was gonna say that uh, he wasn't as his was statement wasn't as impactful because it happened overseas and in, mm-hmm. in Portuguese and it doesn't really resonate. And people say that he was a hard draw in the first place, but it's a good draw in Brazil, which is a giant market for the UFC, exactly. though. Yeah. And uh, you know that tidbit went around and it kind of faded away. And then to bring this back to UFC 205, you hear you heard Connor say like on stage that Eddie Alvarez took this fight into the same deal. He didn't, he's not getting more money or anything negotiating, whereas like Diaz did. Yeah. Um, and kind of taunted him about that. So, yeah, it's great that they have that platform and it's a step in the right direction as is with the Fighters Union stuff. And there's a piece that I have coming about that soon for Sports Illustrated, so plug. Um, but there's, it rings hollow. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the UFC still holds all the chips right now. So, yeah, he came out and he said all the stuff about the situation and the contract and what's gone on with him, and it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating. But like, you know, the bargaining leverage still hasn't been fit. Issue hasn't been fixed. It hasn't been fixed at all. I think it's more fluid than it used to be. Um, I think we have different things going on. So uh, maybe if what Connor said is true, maybe Eddie Alvarez isn't getting um, a renegotiated, a better deal. Uh, the same token, a couple weeks ago, Luke Rockhold did successfully renegotiate. Um, and, he, and he used social media to go out and say, hey guys, yep, you know what? Eh, I'm not going to fight anymore. I'll do something else. I just signed with uh, uh, in management that's going to find modeling opportunities for me. I got other things going on. I don't need to do this anymore. Um, and he, that worked. Right, Jose Aldo. We'll see if it works. He happened to make his announcement on a really bad day. Like you're going to get drowned out if you have all these amazing announcements um, by this huge apparatus, UFC, uh, about 205. Right. So, but I think it's. I think you're right, Mike. It's not been fixed. It can't get fixed until there's collective bargaining. No one person on social media is going to change the tide single-handedly in one fell swoop. They're chipping away. Um, I, in terms of how the how the new how the new ownership is going to react, listen, I, I I can only this is my guess, but I my guess is that I feel pretty confident is that they love the margins in this business. They specifically as it pertains to how much have the UFC spends um, on on fighters, on, on talent, on athletes, on labor. I bet they love the percentage of revenue, which is lower than other major sports that goes to athletes. Uh, I bet they uh, I bet they love. The, the licensing rights, name and likeness rights, being there in perpetuity. Uh, I bet they love not having to, to bargain collectively. I bet they love um, that these, these fighters, which have all sorts of requirements placed on them uh, of their time, um, of their likeness and, and the like, um, that, that they're considered independent contractors instead of full employees and don't have those benefits. So my sense, my guess is that this ownership, like any ownership, is going to look to uh, keep things the way they are. Uh, they're going to really, really try to probably um, tell fighters, listen, it's, you know, 
we're, we get, we're going to get you these other opportunities. You know, we're big in Hollywood. We're going to do, yes, we have your, your licensing rights. We're going to create opportunities for you, uh, which itself is a problem because they are, if they're managing people like Ronda Rousey, uh, representing her and promoting her, that's, that's a major conflict of interest. I've said this before, written it before, and I'm going to continue to say it in boxing. That would be a federal crime. Um, so I, my sense is they're going to exploit the way things are. They're going to try to continue uh, to do them because it, it, makes, it makes business sense to them. Um, so that, that's, that's my general sense is that they like the, the way things are now. They're going to have to tighten up some stuff uh, in case anyone starts making inroads with, with collective bargaining. Um, but my sense is they, they, they like the way things are. They, they like the way things are. So why, you know, like you mentioned, the discrepancy in pay, like why would they, nobody's going to give away millions of dollars. No, no. Like, hey, we bought this thing. Now let's start spending more than, than the previous owners did. No. That being said, I have that piece coming. I've talked to two fighters, and one of the fighters uh, made a point, which is kind of something interesting that you brought up, is that this company, WME, is used to dealing with unions because they deal with actors' unions true. all the time. True. Now, it's a little bit different because they're not the movie studio dealing with actors' unions. Or right, 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 right. They represent them. so They may not be as opposed to it, though, as the Fertitta right. brothers, who, were, who are virulently anti-labor. Right. Uh. So that was his point. But at the same time, it's like, I'm sure they're not eager to give away a bit yeah, of yeah. pie. But that, that is really worth mentioning. I'm really looking forward to reading that. You're right. At least we have owners now who have a history of doing work with guilds. But thank whereas you. the Fertitas don't. But thank you so much for uh, calling in. Yeah. Good questions, man. That's oh, the, uh, conditioner. I don't use conditioner. I use whatever hand soap or gym soap is available to me, and then I dry it off as quickly as I can. What but thank that, you. What does that mean about my hair? Uh, well, I don't know. You, yours looks way better than mine. You certainly comb yours. I haven't combed mine in about four years. All right. We have uh, another caller, Justin. Let's patch you through. Hey, this is Justin Golightly, a.k.a. Secret Moves. (laughs) I'm asking you now, Conor McGregor is a veritable chaos magician who already basically wills whatever he wants to happen into reality. What will happen if McGregor beats up Alvarez like that bully who spins Will Smith around in the intro to Fresh Prince? (laughs) You get it? That's a silly reference. (laughs) Defends against Diaz. Will he do super fights by... Cut off there. Um, for good questions, uh, even better phrasing. I like that. Justin Golightly. I like your secret moves, man. Uh, good Fresh Prince reference. I just saw a couple memes, Fresh Prince memes this morning, uh, as Chance would have it. Um, so that's <laughs> that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I think uh, Conor McGregor will have even more power if he can. This is not a great matchup for him if, if Eddie Alvarez fights smart. Uh, and is willing to wrestle. Um, if he manages to win, he he's going to have even more even more power than he he, he did before. Yeah, uh, I mean, if he wins, he's gonna he's gonna have more power. But I feel like at that point, he's he's reached what he's wanted, and he becomes more manageable. You think so? Well, because like the whole issue is him trying to pursue this belt and not defending the other one. Right, right, right. And once this is crossed off his list like what's next like he's not going to put two divisions on hold to pursue a 170 title shot i think i think you know he might, I, mean? I think he might try to i don't think right away no i, I think, think he'll start maybe he'll well how about this how about he'll try to keep both of them and defend both of them well yeah, his yeah. that's own what i time think. schedule which the ufc says now that they won't let him do well i think that's what he's going to try and do yeah. and i think that them booking him like let's say at most they book him i don't think it's unrealistic for a fighter of him like him to be booked twice a year mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's unreasonable. Right. Which would be him defending each belt once. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You know, and even if it was three months, three times a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's only four months between fights, and that's still pretty. Yeah, that's crazy. very little rest. At his level, his camp's probably two, two and a half months long, so it's very little rest. Right. So there's, uh, and of course, there was the little nugget that Dana said, like, he's got some personal stuff he teased on ESPN when he was announcing the fight that. He'll let Connor address what he has. You can, then, you know, if there's a million conspiracy theories about uh, what that is. You can look it up on the internet. I'm, I'm betting on Dana White uh, uh, fiction is what my. <laughs> yeah, we'll, well that's see. the other thing too. <laughs> that's always the wild card there. Uh-huh. Maybe he's lying again. So, but I think once he gets what where where he wants to be, I think is a two weight champion, alternating title defenses, and I think if he wins, then he's there, yeah. and then it's just him doing that yeah yeah yeah. so now if he were to fight jose aldo and then lose the belt well now does he become now does it become the situation where he puts uh the lightweight division on hold while he tries to pursue reclaim that belt you know yeah, so then that's right. a situation situation that could affect him or could come about down the line that's true that's, that's i i would have to guess that you're probably right there it might depend on matchups if he can somehow hold on to the featherweight title without defending it over a year, and then Stephen Thompson becomes champion, as much of a monster as Stephen Thompson is, and if Connor wins this one, he might like someone that'll strike with him. And if he could, if he could take some time off and and still get a welterweight title shot afterwards, like he might want the history of being the first person in history to have three world title bouts. But that is kind of crazy. I don't even pick him against Alvarez or in an Aldo rematch, personally. Uh, I think he could win, but anyway. Anyway. I like those questions, though. Good questions, definitely. Veritable, um, veritable chaos magician. That's cool. Yeah. That's uh, combining control. <laughs> yeah, those, this is good, man. You guys, if we get questions like this every week, we'll be happy customers. Okay, so the, uh, the first caller is on the line. So we'll patch Dean Thomas through. All right. All right. right in there. Dean, thanks so much for uh, for being on the show, Coach. I appreciate it. I, I know you've got a couple things going on this week, uh, folks, you're, for your, your coaching. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, uh, well, I just got back from, uh, from Hidalgo, and I had uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. and I went in now. I'm going out to Portland. Uh, I'm leaving on Wednesday. I got Walt Harris uh, fighting in that one. And I'm also going to be helping uh, John Lineker a little bit. I don't really train with John Lineker, but, you know what I'm saying, we got a closely related family. You know, he's, you know he comes to train with us sometimes, so I'm going to, like, you know, maybe offer a little insight for him the last couple of days for the, you know, before he fights John Dotson. That's cool. I uh, I didn't know you were you were coaching John Lineker as well, um, or helping out this week, as you put it. I'm gl- I'm really glad Walt Harris is back in the UFC. A really promising young heavyweight that got into the UFC a couple of years ago after just a few fights in the regional circuit. A really great athlete, former basketball player. He struggled initially to to get the win. He he got back into the UFC recently after about a year and a half out of uh, out of fighting, or at least away from competition. Got his UFC win. How much, Coach, did that help uh, Walt's uh, mentality and his confidence getting that first UFC victory out of the way? Yeah, it did. Well, here's, you know, the thing with guys that come from small towns, like Walt comes from a small town. He's from 
from a small town in Alabama. And what happens with them is that, you know, they dominate those small areas. And then when they finally get to a bigger gym, they get intimidated a little bit. So, like, they start to lose confidence in what they can do. And when he was fighting in the UFC, he, had, he didn't have a, a lot of confidence because, one, he was training with guys that he had never really trained before. Like, he was training with the guys he was watching on TV. So he was hesitant. And then the fight in the UFC was like, oh, my God. Like, it was so overwhelming for him. Uh, so to finally get that win in the UFC, now we're going to see a different Walt Harris. We're going to see a, a, an extremely confident young man. And, you know, he's always had the talent. He just didn't have the confidence. But, you know, I'm, but we're seeing that now. I mean, he's, work, he's been working a lot uh, as far as, like, he was just doing different things. And he's so impressive, especially for a heavyweight. That's pretty cool. And, yeah, he is a heavyweight. He's a big heavyweight. And and you, uh, Coach, you're obviously a former world-class uh, lightweight. Uh, and the service, a lot of fans may, may, may um, find that really uh, interesting. Um, talk about how you, as a, as a lightweight fighter, are still able to be such an effective coach for fighters that are in a wide range of weights, including a heavyweight. Is it just the, your ability to communicate technique, teach things? It's your, is it your experience? Like, What helps you uh, make weight not really an issue as a, as a teacher? Yeah, you know, I mean, more than that, I mean, it's all about chemistry. It's all about, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different factors that, that help you be able to relate with your athletes, fighter and coach relationship. A lot of different things. It comes down to one chemistry. You know, can he speak the same language that I'm speaking? Do we understand each other? Do we trust each other? And then two, it comes down to, like, being able to assess each other properly. You know, I mean, it's more than just, like, you know, putting a towel over your shoulder and hold pads for a guy. It's, it's, you know, you have to be able to look at a guy and go, listen, this is what you're lacking, this is what you're good at, and this is what we need to focus on. And he has to be able to trust that what I'm saying is right, then I have to be able to trust that what he's doing. And, and sometimes, like, if he says, hey, man, listen, you know, I don't know if I'm feeling this. I have to be able to go, you know what, maybe this ain't the right thing for you. But I think me and Walt, we have a really good chemistry. And, uh, you know, I worked with him for his last fight. And, and, and you know, I think I, I expect a lot from him actually now. You know, I'm not, I don't want to tell him that. I don't want that pressure on him. But I do expect a lot from him because I do think he's one of the more talented heavyweights that I've ever worked with. I actually got to meet and uh, eat some food with uh, with Walt and uh, one of his coaches from Alabama a few years ago when he fought in, in Chicago. It's kind of cool when, when heavyweights come into town or fight. We could actually sit down and eat with heavyweights because most of them don't have to cut weights where uh, most fighters uh, having to cut weight, you can't really have any uh, enjoyable time with them. But I remember from a technique standpoint, Coach, one of the things uh, Walt was talking about when we, when we started talking about technique and his development because he hasn't been in MMA for very long, even though he's at a very high level. Yeah, one of the things that just stands out of my head, he was talking about, hey, you know what? It's it's kind of difficult to learn to sit down on that cross, really commit to that straight cross uh, punch. He's he's looked good with it um, in his last couple fights. He, tech, I know you talked about the the big mental differences, which might be the most important thing. But have you seen a lot of technical improvement from him as well recently? Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's another thing with you know being able to be exposed to different resources from a bigger camp. And nothing against the guys that you were working with before. I thought they did a great job with him as far as like his fundamental development. But you know now that he's with a bigger camp, I mean he gets to experience a lot more uh, from a technical aspect from different guys. And then what I did was I took everything that we had really is from you know a bunch of different guys, and I threw most of it out and said, all right, well this is what you're good at, and this is what we can do. Let's leave the other stuff in the bag, but for this fight, this is what we're taking out, and this is what we need. 
I want to jump ahead, Coach. Uh, we're here with Dean Thomas in the Extra Rounds podcast. Matt Sarah has been doing a lot of interviews uh, recently or on his own podcast as well that he has with Jim Norton, really good podcast, um, talking about the, the whole controversial process of how um, one of the, the co-hosts, former co-host Nick the Tooth, um, Nick Gallo, I believe, um, left uh, the looking for Dana White looking for a fighter reality show on YouTube, and then you ended up replacing him. Uh, I'm not going to have you rehash any of that. I, they've done a good job, the both of them, talking about it. But uh, but yeah, like now that you're on the show, you're a ho- co-host. Um, what what can fans be ex- expecting uh, from the show? Well, we, we've uh, shot two episodes, mm-hmm. so um, I'm sure that they're just in post production right now, and I'm sure they're going to be releasing them shortly. Uh, but now we're just waiting on the film schedule. You know, we're just waiting on the film schedule what Dana's got going on. I mean, I, it's tough because, like, I've never met anybody. I, I mean, I thought that I was a hustler and that I, that I grind, but I've never met anybody who hustles and grinds like Dana. So, like, I don't want to, you know, be calling him like, hey, man, when are we filming? Because I know he's extremely busy. And, you know, especially with, like, a lot of the turnover and things going on in the UFC, it's got to be overwhelming for him, you know, with, like, Joe Silva leaving and, you know, even just the transition from the new ownership. There's a lot going on right now. So, like, you know, I'm just being patient, but I know that we're going to start filming soon. Is is the show been a fun thing for you to do? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, if you want to include that episode, then, then we shot three. But, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a... <laughs> I mean, I can't really, I can't, I can't even put into words how much fun we've been having. I mean, it's just crazy, you know. And, and but like I said, I mean, it's strenuous. Like the hard part is just trying to keep up with Dana because, like, you know, he wakes up early, he goes to bed late, but in between the hours that he's up, I mean, he's constantly doing things, just going from one place to the next, and just doing things. And uh, it's it's difficult to kind of keep up with that schedule. But I mean, we've been doing it, and we've just been having a good time, eating good food, and going to different places, and meeting different people, and, and just having a good time. And, and in the meantime, just busting each other's chops and talking trash to each other. Now, now you and Matt Sarah are, are friends, um, which is cool to me and curious to me. You guys were came up as some of the top lightweights in the world long time ago, um, and uh, you actually fought each other too. How did you guys even become friends? Well, I mean, our, our history, me and Matt have a history that goes back longer than almost anybody that I have with that's still involved in the UFC today. One thing that people understand is this: back in 2001, his best friend broke my arm in a grappling match. That was Rodrigo Gracie. That same year, Matt Serra beat my best friend, Paul Rodriguez, in a grappling match in order to make it to Abu Dhabi that year. So our history goes all the way back to 2001. Then we ended up fighting each other in 2004, which was a crazy fight, which was the first time a decision was ever read wrong. They read his name as a winner. I was announced the winner. So we had beef, like, all the way up until that point for years, going back to 2001, up until we actually were cast to do the Ultimate Fighter Season 4. We get to do that show. We squashed the beef. We ended up being roommates in the house and just became really, really, really good friends. I mean, it was kind of like one of the things that, you know, a lot of people, I think, that have problems with each other would be friends if they just allowed themselves to be friends with the other guy and i think that was a situation with us i mean we had beef for like four years but when we finally got to know each other we're like the best of friends and um you know and i can't thank him enough for the opportunity that he gave me to be on the show with them so you know we we've been friends ever since we filmed the the ultimate fighter season four back in 2006 and uh you know and he called me on a day's notice and say, hey man, listen, there's a spot for you. Can you do it? And I was like, say no more. Send the ticket. They sent the ticket and I was out. 
That's so cool. I, we, we wanted, before we, we let you go, we wanted to take on a few matchups. Obviously, you know, we know you're confident in, in Walt Harris and is his in his matchup against uh, Shamil, and I'm not, like you with Carolina, I'm not going to try the last name. I'm really sorry. I know that's offensive. i got to work on this. Uh, but so, you know, feel free to talk about that matchup, but I also want to get your take on Will Brooks versus Alex Oliveira, um, who, who's uh, Will Brooks side of American Top Team as well. Um, it's a great fight. And also, looking forward to Michael Bisping versus Dan Henderson. Just love your take on, on these fights, if you can. Okay, well, you know, obviously with Walt Harris's fight, I mean, you know, when you, you know, dealing with Russian fighters is different. Like, sometimes culturally, it affects the way people fight. And, like, dealing with Russian fighters is kind of different because they're very hard, like, just very solid individuals. They're just trained that way. So, you know, I mean, anything can happen in a fight, but we prepared to deal with a guy who's just really stubborn and stern. So, you know, hopefully our game plan works. You know, the way I look at fights is if, if we're able to impose our will and, and able to employ our game plan, it's going to work and we'll come out victorious. So as long as we can do the things that we've been training to do, i I got a lot of confidence that Walt will get the job done. Now, with Will Brooks and, and Charles Oliveira, uh, Charles Oliveira, right? No, I think it's Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get confused, too. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I begin these Oliveras mixed up. Yeah, Alex <laughs> Oliveira. It's weird. I, we refer to him as Cowboy because he, he comes and trains with, train with us every so often. You know, in fact, I worked with him uh, quite a bit before a couple of his fights. But, um, yeah, you know, you know that's, a, that's kind of a tough fight to call, really, to be honest with you. I mean, when it comes to skill level, there's not many guys in, in the lightweight division I think is more skilled than Will Brooks in mentality. I mean, there's nobody who's going to out-Will Will Brooks. But the thing is that Oliver is so strong and he's so powerful. Like he might, like pound for pound, he might be one of the hardest guys I've ever like held a bat for. I remember him kicking my legs once. It was just like, I mean, I, I felt like I needed like three extra pads to be able to deal with. I mean, he's a really strong guy. But so like he's he's got a puncher's chance, and I believe he has a puncher's chance against anybody in the division. But Will Brooks is just he's just kind of on a different level, I think. Especially now that he's he's got a full camp, he's gonna be really prepared for this fight. But and he's just. He's kind of on a different level, I think, for most of the guys in that division. Uh, the last fight you said, uh, Henderson and Bisping. Yeah. Right there, that's the last one. You know, I think it's going to be a different fight. I mean, I clearly it's going to be a different fight this time. I think Bisping learned his lesson the last time, and I think he's just, I think he's going to be a little bit too much of a workhorse for Henderson. And I, I'm not counting Henderson out. I mean, Henderson's right hand is, all, is a game changer. I mean, I think that changed the fight when he fought Hector Lombard. I mean, Hector Lombard was afraid to come forward after he like felt the wind of that right hand. But I think Bisping is gonna do a better job of being prepared for that right hand this time. He'll stay away from that. And I think he's I think he has the ability to outwork Henderson. How Anderson's a bit older now and I know he's still got some left in him and I know he's gonna give everything he has knowing that this is his last fight. But I don't think it's gonna be enough. Well, Coach, thanks for, uh, for for being on the show, especially this week when you got so much going on. Please let fans know uh, where they can uh, find you online. You know, I'm on all my social medias under the same thing, at Dean Thomas. That's spelled D-I-N-T-H-O-M-A-S, at Dean Thomas. So just check me out on social media. But other than that, you know what I'm saying, I like to stay under the radar, but I like to put out good work. <laughs> you always do. Best of luck this week with all you guys. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Cool. That was Dean Thomas. Great, great stuff. Uh, so we wanted to do a little discussion afterwards and takeaways. My first thing is that he managed to get his name on all social media. That's uh, that's not always doable. No, he has a very unique name. Yeah, no, which he kind of cool. does. But. He does. Yeah, no, he's uh, 
Hey, maybe he just threatened them a little bit with, uh, <laughs> with his skills. No, he would never do that. But yeah, that was cool. It's nice and simple. No like extraneous four numbers or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, man, he talked about so much. Like, where do where do you even start? Um, I thought it was I thought it was cool that he was he's going to be helping John Lineker out, which was totally a shock. Like, I I I'd heard he was coaching Walt Harris. I didn't know if he was helping Will Brooks or not because he's an American Top Team, uh, and, and and I guess he's he's not. Maybe Mike Brown will be in that corner and some other guys. I'm not sure. Uh, but I thought it was cool because John Lineker is not like. American top team, but I guess, like he said, he comes in and gets work. Uh, that that was pretty interesting. Uh, John Lineker certainly is lucky to have an experienced guy like like him in the corner. I thought it was kind of cool too that he said they they worked with Alex Oliveira. Like he's come in a bunch to American top team, so maybe Will Brooks and Alex Oliveira have actually like sparred together or gotten good looks at each other. That's that's kind of interesting to me. Well, uh, speaking of the fact that he was talking about uh, being in John Lineker's corner, even though he's not a coach, it reminds me of what Perillo was telling us last week mm-hmm. when he was saying, talking about being in BJ Penn's corner, but he didn't work with him, but he was just there, and he was kind of explaining why that happens, and it's more common than you. That's, you, that's uh, true. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's so right. that's kind of what that made me call back. At. And I thought it was really interesting when he broke down uh, working with a heavyweight because yeah. they're, I mean, it's fighting and fighting. People would say fighting is fighting, but there's different things. Like heavyweights move differently than the lightweights. There's different things you want to do or accomplish. Yeah. And so there could be a gap that's difficult for somebody to coach people at different weight classes. Um, so that was really yeah. interesting to me. And he was he's totally right. He talked about having like a relationship and being able to speak... Uh, the language, and I think that's that's an that's an emotional thing. That's an important thing for fighters. They need to be able to trust. They need to be able to understand uh, their their coach, because um, it's so much of it is is psychology. And also, he probably selling himself short. Like, I think when you're as technical as Dean Thomas is, and he's just an amazingly well-rounded fighter, um, you probably are able to break things down regardless of weight class too. But yeah, that definitely stands out. Like they, That's not super common. In, in that own camp, which and another interesting thing you see kind of inverted is Conan Silvera, one of the heads of American Top Team, a former uh, heavyweight fighter. Um, he's a huge, huge man. He coaches a lot of the American Top Team women, which are a lot, a lot smaller. Uh, but he's in a lot of their corners and helps them out a lot. So I guess if you're a good enough coach and you've got a good enough relationship, you can, uh, you can make it work. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing with the show has been an interesting thing. To yeah, see the back and forth. Of course, he's not kind of. He's just kind of caught up in yeah, it. Yeah, that's why I didn't want to make him talk about the drama. Right. Like maybe I should have. I mean, well, I he's like, not yeah. involved in the yeah, drama. So exactly. You can't ask somebody to weigh in on drama that he wasn't there. For. Right. He wasn't a part of the conversations. Right, right. I mean, like he heard one side of the story sure. when he was coming on, or I guess two sides if you count Dana White. And right. Dana, but right. Um, you know. But it's that's a that's a fun show, and I think it's an underrated show. You know, for, in the amount of time that they've had, I mean, I don't I've looked into viewership numbers or whatnot. Uh, there's been some notable stuff that, that's yeah. come about from that yeah. show. Notable Sage fighters cut from the thing. He's become a huge. Um, well, I don't want to say huge, but he's become a star. And yeah, somebody's pushing. Oh, for sure. Uh, Mickey Gall. Um, I think so, he's going to be a star for sure. You know that it'll be interesting to continue to see that show progress over time. It's an important show, and it is like fun to watch. Like it's a pretty well done show. It's it's a it's a pretty good time. You know. Well, the Ultimate Fighter was so important to the UFC at no. one point in time in helping grow the sport. I don't think that this would, by any means, have the same impact that the Ultimate Fighter would. Right. But you know, some people are tired of the Ultimate Fighter, yeah. and this is kind of a unique different way to kind of go about something with the same goal find new talent yeah. highlight new talent 
get new talent onto the roster. Totally. So, and I'm glad it's it's I'm glad it's bringing more spotlight to guys like Matt Sarah and and Dean Thomas. I got nothing against Nick the Tooth. I don't know Nick the Tooth. I thought he was funny on the show too. Uh, but for sure, having two amazing actual fighters like Matt Sarah and Dean Thomas is is, is pretty cool to have. You know. Yeah, and uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see the new episodes with the new dynamic. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Well, we have. Also, another guest lined up on the phone. Boom. We have joining us uh, Jessica I. She fought at UFC 203 against Betch Correa, lost in a decision. The decision was pretty um, controversial, at least from my standpoint. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I thought it was a bad decision. I scored it for Jessica. Um, yeah, so let's see. Let's get her patched through. Cool. Uh Jessica Evilai, thanks for being on the show. I know we were talking earlier, and even though you fought at UFC 203 in Cleveland, you already are just you know back in the gym, so it didn't take you long to get back in, huh? Yeah, today's going to be like my first heavy day back. Like I've gone in and trained a couple times, but it wasn't like MMA training. But yeah, I mean, I'm back, definitely getting back. I mean, I think it's more than anything from this last fight. My heart hurts more than anything, considering I didn't feel... I. I'm going to say that to all of my decision losses because they're all split decisions, you know, that I, I don't think I lost. And, I mean, I feel like definitely feel robbed after this last one. Yeah, I was, you know, that really leads into what I, I was already planning on asking is, is just how are you doing uh, mentally? I'm curious if it's easier to deal with a loss when it's, it's, it's a bad decision or is it still, is it still heartbreaking no matter what? Well, I think it was, it's heartbreaking because I'm sick of losing decisions. <laughs> I keep losing fights by decision. It's kind of you know, gutting when you keep losing fights by decision. You know, it's, it's based upon opinion of these judges that are inadequate to even do their job properly. That's like sending an amateur into the pro case. You know, like they, you can't do that. And these, some of these, like these, um, these reps and six, or no, the judges don't have don't have the right judging ability. And those weren't even Ohio judges, so how can I be mad at Ohio? It's not Ohio's fault. I mean, they did what they were you know, there to do and support the shit out of me, and they did. They, I don't think there was more... I think that Cleveland and Ohio was just as mad and hurt by it as I was. You know, I know a lot of people that kind of left after that was just like, I'm just disgusted. And, you know, it's my fault, too. You know, as a fighter, I know that, you know, I should finish a fight, but it sucks that I can't. We can't allow. I can't allow one of the ways to win to be one of the ways that I truly win. I mean, it's just heartbreaking, and I feel like everybody from the UFC felt that way. I got a lot of a lot of feedback from the UFC, and they were just like, you know, they, you know, I spoke to Dana personally, and you know, he he's. I'm not getting cut, you know, so to speak. So I feel like. I at least know what some of my future is, and that's getting back in there and just finding a way to win again. Well, that's good to hear. We were actually going to ask if you'd had any actual official contact with UFC officials. So it's good to hear that at least Dana White has, you know, told you for now you're not you're not getting uh, cut. Um, it, you know, it's it, this is one. I feel like your situation, Jessica, is one of those examples, a really good example of how the sport of MMA is not one-dimensional, right? We can look at your record on paper and be like, oh, yeah, you know, she's got a few losses now in a row. Um, But we look at the quality of opposition, and it's as high as anyone who's not champion of the bantamweight division. You're fighting basically nothing but former title 
challengers and uh, world champions. Um, you know, then you deal with this fight, which I, I, I agree. We, we were talking about it right before you came on. We, we, we scored the fight for you, so we think it was a bad decision. So it's a fight that you deserve to win. So things aren't simple. Now, fighters are often thought of... Um, you know, as kind of like video game characters are really not, you know, thought of in more than one dimension. And that's got to be stressful. And it's got to be stressful not to have the job security um, that maybe other, you know, athletes have. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm always, you know, obviously you're only as good as your last performance. Um, it's not like other, you know, athletes, you know, where, you know, like, I mean, you get a tight end that's not doing his job, like, he might get bent, but that guy's still making twice his mo- amount of money. He's still not have to work as hard as we are. So, I mean, unfortunately, that's the nature of MMA, which really sucks, but it, it is what it is. I feel like we, we really don't have much of a choice. We'll have to take it for what it is. And, you know, I really don't know what, I mean, look, them saying they're not going to cut me doesn't mean that I'm not necessarily gonna get cut, you know what I mean, or not gonna get cut, I mean, there's still the possibility that, you know, they can be cut me because they don't want, you know, people on the roster, but I'm gonna treat my life as, you know, as, as if I'm not, and I'm just gonna keep on trying to get better. Dana had actually offered one of his sports psychologists to me, so, you know, I'm, I've reached out to him, and he's out in Arizona, and I might take a trip out there to, you know, see what maybe they have to offer, you know, I, I think that I hold back in there a lot of times, and amazing wrestler and grappler, I don't know why I don't show that more and I end up getting into striking battles, so maybe it's something else that I can excel on. That's interesting, talking about uh, psychology. Did you feel a lot of extra pressure, Jessica, fighting at UFC 203, coming off of losses, and then fighting it at home? Like, it's got to be amazing to fight at home, uh, but it's got to be a lot of pressure as well. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to be here in Cleveland to, to fight, you know what I mean? I was, I was very happy about that, you know what I mean, in, in, in that way. So I, I don't I don't necessarily think that it was that. I think it was just a matter of, I don't think it was that. I think that I, I, I was happy to fight here in Cleveland. I mean, I, I could care less that I've lost my other fights because, you know, I'm living in the now moment, and I don't feel like that had anything to do with it. I think that I've obviously maybe carrying something out there that, you know, I'm, I'm not doing, and... I'm going to let the sports psychologist be the one to figure that out for me. Yeah, it, I mean, it's cool to go. It definitely makes sense. You hear a lot of athletes making good use of sports psychologists, and I'm not really up uh, you know, up on, on all of that. Um, but, you know, it's still kind of tough to to hear you talk about because you're talking about, uh, you know, oh, you know, I need things you can do better. And, of course, win, lose, or draw, athletes, fighters are always trying to see what they can do better. But at the end of the day, we're still talking about, um, in this, at least in this fight, this last fight, a decision that you probably deserve to win. So you're trying to improve, but it's a, your performance was should have gotten you the win anyway. And yes, people like Dana White and, and many fans say, yeah, you've got to fight for the finish. Well, yeah, and, and fighters do try to win all the time in ways that people who don't compete can't understand. And decisions are allowed. Like, that should be a legitimate way to win. when um, figure skating went through like this huge controversy in the Olympics about how they felt that it was unfair judging and they didn't feel like they they were getting a fair chance because there was no set up system and they listened to their athletes and they wouldn't fix it you know for them and I feel like there should be a judging 
you know, aspect for, you know, us also. And there isn't right now. And it sucks. It makes for, you know, life to not, you know, be very fair. And I mean, I, I, I either I can be a part of the solution or I can continue to be part of the problem. But I, um, But needless to say, I mean, I'm gonna just—it's something I have to fix in myself too. From we mentioned this a little earlier, but it, from my perspective, you have. Well, at least no one's had a, a, no one that's not like the champion of the bantamweight division um, or recent champion has had a, a tougher schedule than you have since you've come into the UFC, which makes sense because you're at that level. Um, but is, is there obviously you you know these last few haven't gone your way? Is there at all a silver lining? Given that you fought such great fighters, former champs, people that went on to be champions or former title uh, challengers, knowing that like, hey, I know exactly how I stack up against the best in the world because you're young and you're, you know, you're, you're going to continue to fight, you can continue to improve, and now you know exactly where you need to be to be the champion? Yeah, you know, one of the things that, like, I, I'm very fortunate for people that love and care about me and remind me of those, of those few little things that, you know, they, they, tell, me, they tell me to do. And they, they tell me, like, hey, don't, like, don't be upset about losing. Like, these are the best people in the world. And, you know, the people look at who they've lost to, you know what I mean? Like, you've never even fought, you still give them, you know, a, a good fight. I think that I'm a great, very well-rounded fighter in that way. And I think that that's where the UFC obviously wants to keep me around is, you know, I'm, I'm good for the sport. I'm good. I'm a good book, too. You know, but I'm athletic. I bring a good fight. I don't just go out there and roll over. <laughs> I mean, I think I showcase some amazing things. And I, I just, I have to figure out that my well-roundedness needs to be a finishing well-round. That I don't end up, you know, feeling the way that I, I do. And, and the fans end up seeing me. And, you know, sad, and you know, then I have to think there's some changes that I have to do on my end that are positive that will help to kind of, you know, keep me up there with the top five females, you know, the best in the sport or the best that we're in the UFC. And that's always the goal, and it's it's so it's so tough in modern MMA. Fans that have been around long enough will remember um, twenty minute rounds, right, or unlimited, uh, no no time limit fights. Um, it's tough to give a fighter who's fighting, you know. Well, it's tough to give a fighter three rounds in five minute increments and say stop that other person it happens you know but outside of like single shots it's it's a it's a really tough thing to do modern day mma fighters uh, are, in, are in a tough spot when it comes to finishing i feel and remember those and those and not the other person that you're in there with is one of the best in the world that's why they're there too you know like that's why they're there because they're the best you know they're considered one of the best so of course it's going to be hard for us to finish fight in, in that way yeah, it's crazy hard. Now, you're back in the gym working, trying to improve. Is that something you're doing because it's the thing to do? You're a professional, you're healthy, you get back in the gym. Uh, or are you mentally, like, hungry, excited to, to fight again? You know, I'm pissed off. I'm pissed, though. You know what I mean? Like, and it just makes me want to fix this problem. You know, I'm a problem solver, and I always have been my entire life, being in and out of fighting. If I don't like something, I try to fix it. If I don't like the current situation, I fix that. And that's just how I am. And, you know, I'm really praying that the UFC comes along with the 25 division. I would love to come down to 25. And, you know, I think a lot of girls that were 15 would, you know, love to hear that the UFC is going to do 
do a 25 division. And if that ever happens, I'll be gladly ready to move down. If not, I'm going to continue to you know, stay where I'm at. You know, I, my column this week at uh, MixedMartialArts.com in part focuses on more divisions for uh, female fighters in the UFC because these divisions exist and they have for a long time. Um, I, yeah, I think I think 125 would be a good fit for a lot of women, for yourself, even former bantamweight champ Misha Tate. Like, obviously, you know, the two of you, for example, have no problem competing in 135 and do well there, but there's there's a lot of women at 125. That would be a good division. That's true. Uh, luckily, you know that you can hang with the best at at uh, at one thirty five, and hopefully, hopefully, they'll be adding more divisions soon all around. Well, it's going to be the very exciting to see the fruits of, of all that labor uh, coming. But, um, Jessica, thanks for being on. Keep your head up. Don't overthink the losses. Just do what you guys do. You're always trying to improve, I'm sure. Don't overthink it. Just uh, get back in there. Thank you. Seriously, that means a lot. I'm going to have an amazing practice because of you. <laughs> That's awesome. That we had, uh, she's off the line right now. We had, it was Jessica I. Bantamweight contender from the UFC, coming off of a few tough losses. Um, at, at least this last one was pretty controversial. A lot of split decision losses. I was there, and I scored it for Jessica. I. Yeah. Um, it was, I don't think, definitive one way or the other necessarily, but I felt like Jessica I won the fight, and I feel like it's been a couple weeks now that the reaction from the media was that she had won the fight. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was disappointing to see, especially in front of the hometown crowd, and you saw the reaction Stipe Miocic got. Like, it would have been huge for her. I bet. I bet. And this is just another hurdle. And she's been overcoming some, so much stuff, and she was so emotional leading into the fight, talking about her father and uh, whatnot. And uh, selfish plug, shameless plug here. Uh, I talked to her at UFC 203, so I have a, an interview coming this week. For uh, with her, and yeah. we'll work in some of the stuff that she said. She just told us uh, as well. So, you know, it was just such a turbulent time for her, and it's just one of those things. It's just disappointing to see her do everything right and really dedicate herself, and then feel like you got screwed. Yeah, I mean, it's not like she lost. It's not like she got knocked out. Or right, she tapped. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing, and I you know it's so really appreciate her talking openly and earnestly and. Um, yeah, your conversation with her. Can't wait to see that profile. But she's she's cool to talk to. It's not like I have, you know, and I don't think you either have it like some long standing or professional relationship with her. But she's earnest and she's she'll talk and she'll and she'll discuss things and she'll open up. And I hope fans realize that and appreciate that. And I think they do. I think she's got a really good following uh, for where she's at. And one part is her exciting fighting style. The other part, I think. Is her personality, her willingness to talk about things. Well, the Cleveland community is just so tight about everything, mm. and she has that. And we initially bonded. We met the first time at like UFC Fight Night 
49 Stevens Cub Swanson I think it was okay um, I could be wrong uh, but it was definitely in San Antonio and she, we were talking and uh, she's from Cleveland and I'm a big fan of uh, Cleveland rapper Machine Gun Kelly so like that's what we talked about and I've joked with her when I talked to her at UFC 203 that this would be the first time I interviewed her and I wasn't going to ask about it and uh, <laughs> but like I know what his following is like yeah. and the Cleveland and the Midwest they're quick to rally around him and you see it with Stephen Miocic you mm. know and the response that he's getting in Cleveland like he's a like if you if you just dropped an alien in Cle- like into UFC 203 and they had no idea that Stephen Miocic was a hometown person like they would think that he's the biggest star in the sport that's cool you know based on the way that the crowd responded to him that's and cool. so they love they love their people and it's like the LeBron thing and the Cavs mm. thing and the Browns like even though the Browns are so bad that they rally around them it's just a cleveland thing to support their people and she's a cleveland person yeah you know so she's got the support she's got it's cool the thing behind her um i marked down some notes from some of the things that she's talked yeah. about uh judging since we're on that subject mm-hmm. it's been a big discussion for a long time about the judges and the, the big gripe is that a lot of them are boxing judges who don't fully understand the sport and how to score properly takedowns and grappling yeah. and uh controlling position and those kind of things and there definitely needs to be some reform there but it's you know what are you what are your takes on yeah no I, about uniform judging uh i think she's right that there's a problem right diagnosis is correct prescription maybe is tougher but not only do we deal with boxing and kickboxing judges who don't know mma very well becoming mma judges they did, most of them didn't know boxing or kickboxing very well. The reason is most of them weren't practitioners. I'm sorry, but it, it's it's a very tough... I'm not saying like you need to be a, a world champion in what you do, but it's, it's going to be a very tough thing to us to to view and enjoy something if you've never done it. If you, it's t- a little tough to watch football if you never toss the ball around. Um, and if we're, if we're talking about evaluating... That's a, that's a high threshold. There are a lot of coaches, former fighters involved in boxing, kickboxing, and MMA officiating and, and judging. There's not enough. Uh, and we need, we, need, we need any able-bodied person who is involved in judging to take part in the practice of it or have done so in the past and or just get a lot more, um, a lot more information from the, uh, the, uh, the commissions. The commissions are all underfunded. The commissions all are led by people that don't know much about sports, and mostly they're political appointees. So there's a lot of problems in a lot of areas from people not really having expertise in, in regulating, officiating, um, in, in all combat sports. Now, see, I'm a person who is a fan of the sport, and I like to think I know a thing or two. Hmm. And I really have always been fascinated by jiu-jitsu. I've never practiced, but I've always been... I've taken Muay Thai, but I've never um, practiced jiu-jitsu. So from that standpoint, I don't, but I've watched enough where I feel like I understand it. But even with my level of understanding, wherever that is, um, you watch people like uh, the scout videos that um, yeah, BJJ scout. Bravo was yeah. telling us about last week. So I, I check out some scouting videos. And... You know, I feel like I can watch a fight and be like, okay, well, he's going to try and pass the guard or he's going to move into side control or, you know, he's doing this. And uh, I can understand what he's doing. And they're like, okay, he put his foot on his hip. Like, he's going to try and, you know. Yeah. And I understand that. But then, like, I still watch these breakdowns. And it's even more technical than I, like, like, I, I get the big picture of it. But I, there's still details that I'm not aware of that is makes it really fascinating 
for me. And so, like, what's the solution? Like, who then is in charge of training MMA judges? Is it like up for? I mean, the UFC could take the lead on it, but I don't see why. They, I guess they don't view it as their problem. And it's it would technically like, be a conflict of interest for well, them to be involved in regulating, which they already are. Well, not necessarily involved with regulating, just like a certification course. Right. Like who who. It's all part of the regulation like a, apparatus, though, right? right? Like, for F certain judges are still part of the regulation apparatus broadly. Yeah. But they're the only ones with the money. Like, promoters are the only ones with the money to exactly. do it, which is the tough thing. But it's not their problem to fix. Yeah. They'd rather it, have finishes anyway. Pro- probably, right. Yeah, no, that, that's true. It, it isn't a problem. It can bite them in the butt sometimes. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's well, a yeah, really tough this thing. Was, if Jessica I was the champion, right. and, and, right. like, the promotion, you know what I mean? Like, if this was... Just you know, they would have much rather had maybe somebody like Jessica I win. You know, and sure. it's hard to look at it. Maybe that situation that they would have a, you know, they would prefer one person to win or the other. Right. You know, right. Like if it was Conor McGregor who lost a close decision to some guy from another country who doesn't have a huge following. Right. Like like a real would, bad decision. Yeah. Like yeah. they would really, it, it would affect them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, it's tough. I mean, I think qua- <laughs> I think it, you know, in society. Who's qualified to do what jobs uh, is a very important issue, and I think we have we we have difficulty with that in all sorts of fields and venues, whether it's political, civic service, whether it's sporting. Um, uh, it's it's tough to we, we don't seem very concerned with preparing ourselves and one another for whatever roles we end up in, and that manifests itself in in sport. I think. Um, Athletic commissions are very political at the very top level. They're oftentimes um, in states political appointees. Uh, and the same token, even if it's informally, uh, people who are chosen to be judges and refs is often a very political thing as well. I'm saying that on my own, in my own opinion, from my experience, whatever that's worth, as someone that's uh, been around gyms, competition, and as a, as a participant, as a spectator since I was 15, um, yeah, I think it's a very political thing. So that's not a very qualitative thing. I think there's earnest people in judging and in refing. Uh, I, I know some of them. Uh, I've gotten to have a lot of conversations with a lot of them. And at the end of the day, you can cover a lot of ground if you are earnest, if you care, and if you watch a lot of footage and a lot of teaching from a lot of good people. Like you're saying, right? You watch a lot of uh, fight tapes. So you haven't trained jiu-jitsu yet. We're going to train that. We're going to change that soon, Mike. But, but like, you, you know, you could still be like, okay, I watch a lot. I care. And so I'm listening to right people. You can pick up enough broad strokes to say, I think this person won. You definitely can. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it, it only adds to it if you have actually um, have some personal, firsthand experience with what it is that you're evaluating. It's t- I'm not saying you can't be a fan if you've never trained. I'm talking about if you're the people in charge of deciding who's done this thing better, I think it's a good idea for you to know what that thing is. And, and knowing is, is a very personal, intimate thing that is tough to, to have. Knowledge is tough to have without personal experience. So I'd encourage, I'd encourage, I would encourage the commissions to look carefully at who they, they charge with the responsibility uh, of, of judging fights. There's enough people in any state in a, at least in America, who have trained, who are training, who are coaches, and I think maybe states should look to recruit them to, to do some to do some judging. Uh, the other thing she mentioned, she talked about getting into uh, striking bouts and not focusing on yeah. wrestling. That's something that you could say that was an issue that Johnny Hendricks went through. Um, he he got kind of away from it, and you know he went through a string of some. Uh, bad decisions, and he kind of seemed like he. Re- of course, he was dealing with weight cut issues. Sure, well, like sure. He uh, he focused again on um, 
his wrestling and his strengths, and it kind of worked for his benefit. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. Johnny's got that power and can close that distance fast, so he probably fell in love with that knockout ability. When you're when you're when you're putting amazing fighters to sleep, that's intoxicating. Jessica I has really good hands. Like she's a she's a good boxer for MMA. So that's got to be. That's got to be something easy to fall in love with as well. So that, I thought that was a really interesting observation uh, as well. If she's if she's more well-rounded, then she gives her oppor- herself an opportunity to demonstrate, and she starts doing that. Shoot, if she's healthy, man, she's she's a young woman. She's young. She's a young fighter still. So she's fought a lot and a lot at the top level. But if she can make some adjustments, um, again, I don't think she's got like some ground to make up to be worthy of being in the UFC. That's that's ridiculous. But I, I think she's got real talent and can definitely be a title contender. And if she's got areas where she knows she can open up and she hasn't shown, well, that, that's, that's very promising for her. The thing, you know, people always, oh, you're just going to wrestle and hold them down and blah, 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 blah. But, like, Jessica's in a situation where, you know, a lot of people viewed her last fight as a muscle-in situation. Yeah. What she told us is that the UFC isn't put, you know, is going to give her another fight. Yeah. Uh, as they should. She should have won that fight. But... Um, you can't fault her if she goes out there and she does what she needs to do to win and doesn't worry about putting on a style fight. Like, she doesn't no. want to be aggressive. She wants to wrestle and make it not pretty. You know, go out there and say, I'm not trying to get a fight of the night bonus or uh, an impressive finish. I'm going out there to, to get a to win, win under my belt. No, to- Nowhere else in the sporting world is this type of ridiculous talk, like, accepted. If, if, I, if I'm a basketball team and I'm an inside, like, we, we score 70% of our points in the paint. We've got to feed it into the big man. We rebound. We get second shots, and we put it in. Am I going to get a cookie for like playing a playoff game with all like all three point shots? We're going to take we're going to take like twenty three points. No, because it's exciting, right? Or if we can't slash to the if it's the opposite, if you go only dunk. Yeah, you could only dunk. Otherwise, I'm not going to watch this. Then then go somewhere and watch a movie that's choreographed. I'm not interested in that sport. These things are sports first. They're they're competition first, and you you know the integrity of the competition needs to be preserved. And in order to do that, uh, valuing winning at any cost or the the path of least resistance. Always needs to be uh, welcomed. I mean, this is, uh, you know, MMA is MMA because we can do all these different things, right? Because a wrestler can tell a striker, I don't want to play up here on the feet with you. I'm going to use my skills to take it to a different place. If you're not interested in that, I, then you know it's don't criticize the sport just don't watch the sport that's that's what the sport is there's sports where we can just punch and kick or just punch those are awesome sports the MMA is yeah, everything those exist those exist they're great watch them fan side covers them <laughs> you know we can get a lot of good out of that and we do get a lot of good out of that MMA is is mixing everything and saying find whatever combination of things work for you I'm not saying those things are the, like every fight is titillating my point is the, it, it, sport is not just to titillate and thrill, right? Like, and, and and we all know that, and we all accept it in other sports. Not every every baseball game in a regular season, every 100, all 162 games from one team is exciting, right? You know, most games are, are filled with giant lulls, but we accept it because it's an interesting game. It takes a lot of skill, you know. Like, we have to do that with fighting as well. Anybody who's ever watched the SEC, but well, before recent years, yeah, like, yeah, totally. You know, right? Like Nebraska football, uh, Nebraska Cornhusker fans are great fans. They love their team, and by and large, the last seventy years is three clou- three yards in a cloud of dust. But guess what? It works fine with some defense, so we celebrate it. We got to do that with with MMA. This is not pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is really cool. I actually like pro wrestling a lot. This isn't it. We're not scripting this. Like you got to let him fight. If you don't like it, 15 minutes of your life, and then you can go watch a Jerry Bruckheimer movie and get some crazy action if you need it. Fun fact, I've been to 
four out of five last WrestleMania. That's pretty hardcore, man. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the other topic she brought up was multiple divisions. And I think that's an especially one, and that's kind of why I say that one for the last, because of everything that happened with Chris Cyborg mm-hmm. leading up to the Brasilia card. She released a documentary that showed her cutting weight. Perillo talked to us about her weight cut. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking to watch her go through. There's one scene where she steps on the scale, and she, you know, when they're checking her weight, she just collapses and then just crawl, like in a ball on the floor naked crying. Yeah. Like her boyfriend puts a towel over her. And, yeah. um, and it's just really heartbreaking to watch. And the need for women, more women's divisions. So you are saying that you're writing a column. So let's that's up there. Yeah, talk about it. Uh, what do you, what are you bringing? We, up? we need more divisions. I think one in terms of that that conversation with 145. Listen, there there is ex- <laughs> contrary to to what Dana White has said, there is a 145 pound women's division. There has been for many many years. Chris Cyborg is a champion of that division. In fact, she's the longest reigning champion, world champion, uh, current world champion in MMA. She signed to the UFC. She's fighting the UFC. I think it makes sense to have her uh, defend her, her, her lineal uh, world title in the UFC. These fights that the UFC are making are not significant in any other way other than her taking part in them. Right, they're bringing, they're making much smaller women come up and fight her for no particular reason. It's not fair to her for the weight cut. It's not fair to those women because she's a lot bigger than them. Um, did so, you see her response to that Dana White comment? Uh, her most recent one? No, yeah, she, it was a tweet. She's, oh no, what did she say recently? There's no 140 pound division either. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. So these are just these are the same these are the same types of things that Dana White said about all women fighting just a few years ago. Oh, it's not deep enough. No, those, that's not true. That's just ignorance. You know, there, all sorts of things are said to to keep certain races and certain genders uh, out, of, out of sport throughout history, and they're usually not correct. And let, let's call it what it is. The UFC had a prohibition on women fighting for many, many years. Same way Major League Baseball had a prohibition on black people uh, playing baseball. Now they've got a, a prohibition on, on 145 pounds, and it's, it's a lot more selective, but it's not any less arbitrary. I also think it's just good for women's MMA. Like Joe Rogan came out with a lot of tweets, and he was very outspoken saying, we need to do this. Not only is it good for Cyborg, but it's good for, for women. There's a lot of women out there that are fighting uh, at 145 pounds. They're great athletes. Uh, that, that range, like 135 to like 170, for men and women, is like athletes in every sport. It's kind of like a sweet spot for athleticism. He's like, it'll be good for women's uh, sports. It'll be good for, for women fighters. And they'll, they'll do well in the UFC. Chris Cyborg, the champion of the, of the featherweight division, is doing really good numbers. Does really good numbers on, on websites. Really good numbers now as a headliner. So I think it was the, the fourth best ratings on FS1 for any card they've had all year long. She's a star. She's a star largely without the UFC excellent PR machine pushing her. With it, people will watch her, and they'll watch her even if she weighs five more pounds. So I think we need, we need more of these divisions included in the UFC. The UFC are the big leagues. They need to have the divisions, just like they needed to have a 125-pound, uh, you know, um, a, a male division. They need it for for women as well. There's just a lot of great athletes out there. It's a tough thing to handle. It's a it's a it's a tough thing to manage a roster that big. I'm not saying it's easy, but the UFC shouldn't be giving the reasons they're giving, which is there's not enough depth to it. There is, there is a, as much depth to 145-pound division as there was when the UFC started, uh, as there was for the bantamweight division when the UFC started it. Uh, and and like Joe Rogan also pointed out it'll grow when the opportunity is there when when women can play in the big leagues at that weight in a few years we're going to see a growth just like we're seeing at bantamweight now ronda rousey was dominant the most dominant fighter probably in mma and now we've had like 
16 new champions. It's, it's because there's just, the, the things pick up speed really, really fast when there's that carrot, that golden carrot at the end that we can, you know, we can strive for. So that brings up several points. One, the, the argument about that is like, the, you know, when Ronda Rousey came in, okay, there was Misha Tate, but they had already fought in Strike Force. And uh, so, like, you could say she was a star. Sure. But uh, the biggest gripe for forever was about Ronda Rousey when she was on this run of dominance. The thing about her was that there was no, that it wasn't a division. It was just Ronda Rousey no. who was running over cans. Right. Now, that, well, I don't believe that to be true. And, and it showed that it isn't now, right? But, yeah, and it showed that it, has, it wasn't. No. But that was a strike against her, what people would say. So if, if you think Ronda Rousey is a big enough star that you're going to bring her in exactly. to the division that's viewed the same way, what's wrong with Chris Cyborg? And you obviously think she's a star. She was a co-main event and a main event in her two UFC cards. You and they were paying her. her before they even had her on UFC cards. And, and the Fox Sports card did really well. It did. And the other thing that you brought up, you mentioned, or Joe Rogan mentioned that you brought up, was that... It's like a field of dreams. Build it and they will come. The, we've seen with the women's division that when it started coming to prominence, partly because of Ronda Rousey, people became to it. You know, you have people who are talent in other areas of mixed martial arts, like, I don't know, Holly Holm, right. who then sees what can happen in MMA and makes the switch. Exactly. And now, you know what I mean? You have a world-class boxer coming in who ends up defeating Ronda Rousey and becomes a champion. And so... The opportunities there, and the other issue is that I think the women's division has become some of the most entertaining to watch. Oh yeah, the bantamweight maybe more so because of the storylines. I think the storylines that are there are really compelling. Home winning, Tate winning, Amanda Nunes kind of threw a wrench in all that because it took that triangle of storylines out of the picture. But first openly gay champion in UFC history, huge monumental thing. Um, main eventing UFC 200. By the way, yeah, and exactly. They have the strawweight division, which kind of started as like a new gimmick for the the uh, Ultimate Fighter show. Which they kind of they come up with new ideas for the show instead of it being the normal, which is fine, and I like that, and I, I really dig what they're doing this season with the flyweight. Yeah. But that division's become one of the most fascinating to watch. Great technical fighters. Rose Namunas is incredible. Joanna um, is simply remarkable to watch like i my uh, fiance is not really necessarily a huge mma fan and she's a huge joanna fan she loves watching her fight and uh you know she's been really entertaining and that division's you can say is really compelling and there's tough battles you saw uh who did carolina fight last time that was Yo, good uh, rose it was rose yeah yeah, yeah. and then and joanna as dominant as he, she is had a razor close fight in her last one so we've just got all these amazing mm-hmm. uh, all this parody up there and a really charismatic exciting champion yeah and then you have people like andrage waiting oh, man. Yeah. You know, another fight with claudia down the line yep. like, and the, it's become I, I it's one of my favorite divisions to yep. watch and i think it's alongside maybe featherweight welterweight some of the deepest one of the deepest divisions yeah. in the whole sport. I and it's so. one of the new. It, well, it is the newest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's so, how quickly things can progress. And here's the other issue, and I think this is ultimately which will force the UFC's hand, is mm. that Bellator has gone out, and they've tried to explore the flyweight division, mm. and they've brought in flyweight belts. And I think they're actually having a fight recently that will have the inaugural flyweight belt, which they tried to do earlier in the year, yeah. but injuries forced things to change things. So, but I think they're finally going to do that. So it's kind of like... You know, strike force going after fighters that they didn't have who were up and comers, um, and then finding fighters in weight classes that don't have an opportunity yeah. in the UFC. And it's like a, it's a smart move from Bellator as a way to compete and to lock up talent that 
doesn't have a home in the UFC. Uh, but at the same time, that could ultimately be something that forces their hand. I hope so. I hope so. He's like, you know, we gotta, we gotta have this flyweight division, and we gotta have the featherweight division. I hope they do. Bellator's got to commit. Bellator used to have uh, several really good women's divisions, and then they just crapped the bed and decided to stop doing it. So if they can, they stick with it. They can really, they can really push the sport in a good direction. There's a, the interesting thing is that he, you always talk about we think about USC 205. There's three title fights on it, and we're so excited about Mm. it. There's, if you add a flyweight and a featherweight division for women's, that's two more belts that are in the mix. Yeah, right. And that's how many more pay-per-views that then have two title fights. That's that's a really good point. Which is a huge marketing and selling point. Yeah, you know what I mean. So if you're not gonna if you're not gonna adjust the weight structure of the men's divisions north of 155, so that you have one every 10 Mm -hmm. pounds, and you're not gonna add any more men's division, we gotta add these women's divisions. Why not? Yeah, right. I mean, what does it hurt to have a women's title fight in a co-main event? You know, it, all it does is add another marketing, two titles on the line, two titles on, you know. That's right. It, it makes it compelling and interesting. And then these three title fight cards um, can be happen more frequently. You know, it's just, I don't know. It seems like a no-brainer from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. No, it definitely is. You sell I, title fights. It Absolutely. I, box cards for pay-per-views. When you've got a certain mindset that defies logic and what's in front of you, like women shouldn't fight in the UFC like the president of the UFC has had recently, it's, it's hard to get that out, right? <laughs> like when you think that, I mean, because that's a lesser than thing. And if you, that's a hard thing to kick. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's just going to take a long time for an organization who has spent most of their history thinking women don't even belong there to give them the same, even resembling the same type of opportunities. It's not a rational thing. Yeah, it's a it's a shitty cultural thing. I mean, know? it'll happen eventually, just not on any of our timelines. Ah, I know, I know. I hope it, I hope it happens soon. So uh, we wanted to preview the upcoming weeks. Um, oh, do yeah. you want to tease everything that we have? Or? Sure, sure. So uh, you know, fortunately for all our listeners, I'm going to be um, largely gone for the next two weeks. I'm going to be out of the country, but I will be connected, and we actually still I'll still be sending some cool interviews over the interweb waves i think that's the technical term over to mike so he can uh he can be playing them as well uh we've got a hundred percent we've got uh, ricardo lamas we've got a couple other people working on we'll keep those secret for now ricardo lamas um, is going to be fighting bj penn in the philippines in october um, really really fascinating fight we had bj penn's coach jason perillo on recently um we might replay his talk about BJ Penn before uh, that fight as well. But uh, we'll have Ricardo Lamas, who's, who's local, who's, who's going to be talking to us from his Florida training camp. Uh, I, we're going to be talking about the fight. We're going to be talking about food as well. He, he's, he's a hungry man because he's in training camp, but he loves food. He's from the Chicago area as well. So I'm definitely going to ask him about all the things that we're going we're to try to eat together uh, after he's done with this fight, maybe bring the cameras along. Uh, so, so that's going to be fun. We're also trying to get some other folks on the line this weekend before I, I leave. But, uh, but, yeah, we're going to have some good stuff because we've, uh, we've got some big fights coming up. I'm going to actually be gone while UFC 204 uh, is happening. And so we're gonna we're gonna probably repackage uh, 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 Jason Perillo talking specifically about Mike Bisping and his rematch uh, as a title defense against Dan Henderson. That's a fight. There's a dangerous one for Mike Bisping, but then one he really really wanted. And his coach Jason Perillo has some some real thoughts about where Michael Bisping probably was when he fought Dan Henderson the first time and where he is now going into this into this rematch. So that'll be a lot of fun to hear from him. 
And uh, we're always working to line up some interviews. We've talked to uh, we've talked amongst ourselves about some people we could have on next week. We've also got a few feelers out. Uh, so as soon as we have information about that, we'll release it on the Twitter account, social media. Um, as always, you can call the phone number, 815-570-3923. Leave a voicemail with a message, with a question and your name, and we'll get you on the show earlier, like Valentino and Justin. Uh, we're, we'd love to have you guys interact with us that way and uh, chime in with some questions and add, uh, be a part of the discussion. Um, of course, as always, the podcast is available in iTunes and the Google Play Store, as well as the TuneIn app. Make sure to uh, subscribe and then leave a five-star review so uh, we can continue to grow. And uh, we're going to be doing this on Wednesdays, I think, for the most part, always at 2 p.m. Central Time. Uh, we'll be streaming it live on Facebook, so you can always tune in to watch. Um, there was a huge response the first week, which we really appreciated. We've been wanting yeah. to do live episodes for a while now. Thank you, guys. Um, so that was really great to see. And, uh, you know, that's it. Yeah. Fa- uh, Sports Illustrated MMA Facebook page. Wednesday at uh, 2 p.m. Chicago Standard Time. Really, 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 really appreciate so many of you guys tuning in last time with really no notice. I really appreciate you all listening to, to this one. Share it with folks if, if you like it. Um, yeah, just thanks so much. Having a good time. And this, if you watched it live, will be available in iTunes later today. So yeah. uh, thank you all. We'll look forward to uh, seeing you next time. <laughs> <laughs>